Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of Through Conversations podcast, a platform dedicated to explore the truth, exploring the truth through conversations with the most brilliant minds. And I'm joined today by no other than Professor John Berveke, a previous guest from the show. Professor Berveke is an award-winning lecturer at the University well, no, of I, now I'm Now I'm an associate professor. I've got I've got permanent status. Just to, oh. sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's yeah. perfect. Congratulations. <laughs> so he's an associate professor in the University of Toronto, and he teaches in the fields of psychology, cognitive science, and Buddhist psychology. In addition to his teaching role, he's the director of U Toronto's Consciousness and Wisdom Studies Laboratory and Cognitive Science Program. His courses in, on introduction to cognitive science and the cognitive science of consciousness focus on the 4E model, which asserts that cognition and consciousness go beyond the brain and are embodied, embedded, enacted, and extended. Yes. Professor Verveki has been teaching courses on Buddhism and cognitive science in the Buddhism, psychology, and mental health program for 15 years now. He has authored and presented two YouTube series, which are Awakening from the Meaning Crisis and After Socrates. And I consider him a mentor. I'm glad that the internet connected us. And I truly appreciate you joining me, Professor. Thank you, Alex. It's a great pleasure to be here. Great pleasure to be here again. Uh, thank you for that introduction. It always sounds like it's talking about somebody else other than me. <laughs> so that, uh, that's very, uh, very kind of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, as I've told you before, your work has really allowed me and allowed many others who listen to this podcast to explore themselves and navigate what we're seeing in terms of a meaning crisis, one that is very we can really sense it. It's very tangible. So yes. the previous two conversations that we had, the first one was really involving, it surrounded the conversation on AI mostly. And how the, was that connected with also your book, Zombies in Western Culture, a 21st right. century crisis. And the second one was more in depth into Zombies in Western Culture, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And so I want to really hone down. We're going to be releasing a second edition of it. Oh, I can't wait extra chapter, some extra uh, additions. Uh, so yeah, yep, yep. A second edition is coming out. That's amazing. I can't wait to, to to read that. You know, it's I read your book for like two times or three times now. And each time I read it again, it's just a new insight, a new insight. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. And so this third conversation, I want to really triangulate. I want to consolidate your ideas on AI. You've been really active on this area for, yeah. you know, yeah. your, pretty much your whole career in cognitive science. But today in this world with the GPTs, technologies and the LLMs, yeah. you've really raised some striking ideas. And two weeks ago, you published uh, a video, a series of the thresholds that we need to come up to, we need to pass and the path we must take on AI. So I'd like to explore that firstly. First of all, I noticed, I noticed a very, you're, you're a very passionate person, uh, as yeah. always, you've always been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I've, I've noticed this energy of you that we're really in this pivotal point in our lives, in an inflection point in our lives. And what do you think really we're like in this point when we really, really need to rise to the challenge? Um, so a colleague of mine, um, we shared many students, we were at some conferences together. I, he once gave a gave guest lecture in my, uh, one of my courses, Jeff Hinton, he, he resigned from Google, uh, because 
of uh, the direness, the urgency of the situation that AI is posing. Um, uh, and I admire him for doing that, his integrity. Uh, I, I, I have some, uh, what you might call academic criticisms of uh, um, how the AI was undertaken that has contributed to this, but I, I do want to acknowledge that. That's my way of signaling that um, we're in a really serious situation. There's a couple of dismissive strategies that I understand, and I want to engage with them in a respectful fashion, but I'm, I'm asking people <coughs> to seriously consider challenging. One is, oh, these machines are just other tools, and we've had other tools before. We've had the printing press, and we uh, we've had the internet and, you know, and those were seriously disruptive, but we'll adapt and we'll, we can figure out how to make best use of these tools. And these tools will help us to make lots of money and do lots of wonderful things. Um, I want to say to people that you should abandon that framing. These are not tools. Um, right now they are, uh, but that is misleading. These are entities that are moving towards autonomy and we have never create we have never created a fully autonomous um, thing before uh, with the possibility of intelligence superseding ours uh, now i'm also i don't give in to just the alarmists who say we're doomed within 17 weeks or anything like that i think that they don't know that and i think they're uh, making a mistake but i think that dismissive strategy uh, they're just tools and all we have to do is learn them. And we've done this before. No, you are wrong. I, and I mean that I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be really direct in a way that's needed right now. You are wrong. They are not. They are qualitatively different and they're on the verge of being something very, very different. The only analog we had uh, would be an alien species more intelligent than us landing on the planet. That would be the only analog. And we only have that in science fiction. Um, so you have to think about it like that. The other dismissive strategy is um, one, and Alex, you know from my interaction, I have deep respect for religious traditions, and I enter into good faith discussions, and I open myself up to insight and challenge from them. But And so I'm not saying all religious people are like this. I'm not saying that. I've been tarred with that brush already, which is unfair, but I just want to say I'm not. But there is a group of people with, within a particular kind of religious framework who say these machines can never be X. They can never be intelligent. They can never be conscious. Often those are conflated together or are mistaken from one another. They can't be rational. They can't be Y, whatever. They can't be X because only human beings can be X because human beings have some sort of secret sauce inside of them um, that no machine or material thing could ever make happen. Um, I think the, the that position should you should if you have that position I think you should th seriously think about challenging it uh, because the X that you're going to be able to put up that human beings and only human beings to do is going to increasingly shrink um, in in a way that is going to be very disquieting to you. Um, well, they'll never have X, and then lo and behold, they have X, and they'll never have Y, and lo and behold, they have Y. And they'll never have Z, and lo and behold. Um, I would challenge people that if they take this stance, and I'm challenging you as somebody trying to help you, I'm not trying to enter into argument with you, that if you say it can't, will never do X, Y, and Z, and there becomes 
really uncontroversial, undeniable evidence that it can do X, Y, and Z, you think you should consider that maybe your framework needs to be challenged. Okay, I'm asking for that. Now, of course, some people will just dig in their heels and um, spite me no matter what. Um, and that's fine. Why I'm trying to be um, as provocative as I can is because we are facing, as I said, a challenge. And it's not, I in the video essay, I outline sort of scientific, philosophical, and spiritual issues. We're facing all kinds of challenges, and, and some of them are already upon us. Just to give, uh, so this will seem relatively trivial, but I want to show how it's already having concrete effect. We don't need models anymore, like for photography. We don't need models anymore. All those people that used to make a living by having us take pictures of them, the vast majority of them, other than the ones that are already famous and have their faces sort of branded, we don't need models anymore. Um, and you might say, well, so what? Uh, well, that that's a lot of people. Um, and it also brings up the possibility of really seriously morally challenged issues around, you know, pornographic photography and images. What if we gen generate images and there was no human beings involved in the taking of the photographs? What's the moral status there? Like, and I want to make this really icky for people. Again, not because I like what I'm talking about, but to get people reflect on this. What if somebody starts producing, you know, pedophilia? pornography and they justify it which they will i predict by saying but look there were no kids involved there were no humans at all involved nobody was harmed nobody was exploited there was no criminality nobody was being drugged none of that was happening so sh surely this is all right. right just that's the kind of thing that is literally starting to happen right now and that is only a foretaste of the impact this is going to make and it's going to go greater and greater and greater until our sense of who and what we are is going to be deeply, deeply challenged. So in both senses of the word, existential, in that our very existence might be threatened, at least some of our economic and political existence, but maybe actually our biological existence might be threatened. And in and the other sense of existential, our sense of meaning our sense of what we are and who we are and what it is to be a human being is also seriously going to be challenged um, within, like I say, overwhelming economic and or political. I watched a deep fake video today mm -hmm. where they took Ferris Bueller and they, remo they removed Matthew Broderick and they put in Arnold Schwarzenegger's face and it was seamless. Mm -hmm. It was like, I couldn't tell. I imagine there's some computer algorithm you could run, but like, whew. Right. Imagine AIs compiling all kinds of information about you, generating a generative model, generating a deep fake video in which you are saying horrible things that you don't actually believe in. And, and, and it's being, you know, put out on YouTube and the algorithm is being manipulated. And it's viral that you are claiming that you are the author of a murder or like think of how people will be out like this is all just around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, so. I the the passion in my voice is that we have to get very clear about what these machines actually are so that we can best understand what are the threshold events that still stand between what we are what they are now and then becoming fully autonomous and perhaps superseding us 
so that we can make the right decisions. And then I have a proposal about what those right decisions should look like. But I should shut up. I'm talking too much. But you see, you can see I'm very, very concerned about this. And I, and I really want to wake people up. If you just like, don't be dismissive. If you disagree with me, great. Give me counter arguments. Like don't, but don't just dismiss it. Like if you, if you've got a good argument, if you've got some good evidence, if you've got some good data, I want to hear it. But don't just say they'll never X, they're never Y, or they're just a tool. We don't have to worry. Or they're just algorithms or they're just machines. So there. Wow. I mean, first of all, just to put it there, you can speak as much as you can. I, 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 I love hearing you. This is the whole purpose of the, of the podcast is to, you know, allow you to express your ideas in full length. And having said that, Professor, I, I just want to say that I've never thought, I mean, when you, when you put it so starkly that the fact that models are not necessary anymore, you, you think about it, right? Like in a, in a very, yeah. but then when you reflect on it, it's like, wow, these people really might be thrown off their industries and who would have thought models before anyone else, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, yeah. is a fun, yeah. it's a fun and also serious detour. We, we just don't know the externalities of this technology and the, in the aftershocks, we just don't know. Yeah. And yeah. when you, when you mentioned deep fakes, I recently published a video saying that no one was really talking about the possibility of just anyone using my voice right now, which is uploaded to YouTube and tracking down any familiar family members or anything, just saying, Hey, you know, I'm right now, someone's kidnapped me. I need you yep. to send money. Yep. Yep. These kind of things that, you know, how will my grandma notice if, if it's yes, my voice? Yeah, or exactly. Not? So, yep. and this is not far fetched. This, you can see videos of comedians or in CNBC, this reporter just showed himself interviewing his, his own deep fake, his own voice. And it's, you can recognize the difference, like you say. So mm -hmm. these are no sci-fi scenarios, professor, that you bring out. This is actually, this is actually serious. And on top of that, you bring the meta layer, which is the sense of identity, which is the sense yes. of that we're actually facing an existential crisis, which is already previous conversation we've discussed how we've already on a meaning crisis. And now we're adding to that an AI, which will basically challenge our relationship with another intelligent being, which there's no alien. So we'd say, I, yeah. Yeah. which is just mind boggling. How will we relate with another super intelligent species? And so I want to get into this notion that we're just pushing through, right? This is like an automatic thing that we just must embrace. AI is happening. We didn't vote for it with like a literal vote, yeah. but with voting it with the incentives, which are pretty much money, greed, and also, I don't attention. want to All the attention we give, right? That's also how we pay for it. Attention. And also, I mean, it's not in, in, not in a bad way, but the curiosity that we have of, of searching for who we are. And my question for you is, is this the right approach, building something that we can't really know what's going to look like, which is going to reflect our own selves. But, you know, in previous conversations, our first edition, you mentioned that we have one of our basic traits is self-deception. Yes. Self-deceptive deceptive species. So will AI be a self-deceive self itself? Yeah. So all of these areas, Professor, I'd like to explore with you. 
Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so I had a great hope and a great fear that, that students from the U of T will tell you that I, my great hope was that I, I knew autonomous AI was coming. Um, uh, but I had a great hope that it would be driven by science that science would give us a deep understanding of intelligence and consciousness and wisdom, and that science could be linked to helping people to become more rational, more wise, uh, alleviating, uh, you know, linking the projects of uh, AI to the project of uh, alleviating the meaning crisis. I had the hope that, and I was working so hard to try and bind them, and I was getting trying to get stuff published, and I did, and all that sort of stuff. And my great fear was that people, somebody would just hack their way into AGI without advancing the science significantly. Um, and because my worry is when we do that, when we create technologies that have not been produced by science and have a science that has been set within a philosophical framework, um, that has been really, really a bad idea. Um, and unfortunately, um, it turned out we did... We did what we, uh, my greatest fear came true rather than my greatest hope about this. Um, what do I mean by that? I, there are, there are some scientific advances, um, with the GPT machine. And I invite people to look at the, the video essay in more detail. I won't go through every argument because that's like, that was an hour and a half. So, and yeah. we, but, uh, and I acknowledge what those are. But on the main point, here's what I want to say. Um, the I think the core of general intelligence is a capacity to do relevance realization integrated with predictive processing. Just published a paper on the end of that last year. You can go there if you want to look that up. Um, and I think the GPT machines, insofar as they're doing deep learning, um, they do implement a, a, an important dimension of relevance realization, but they don't they don't implement all of the dimensions. So in that sense, they're not giving us any new understanding about what intelligence is. They've implemented one of the dimensions that was already sort of like we talked about this, my co-authors and I, way back in 2012 about the emerging framework. And that that work like that was one of the the at least the three dimensions. There's more. So first of all, it's got some, but nothing really new. Then what it has is it's actually presupposing and depending on the way human relevance realization has organized data sets, has organized essays, has organized the literature, the way human relevance realization attention has organized uh, the internet, uh, the way human intelligence is used in the reinforcement learning of the GPT machines. And that means, remember, that they're, they're, they're pre-trained. That's what the PT stands for. Um, so they don't so much explain relevance realization because they either have uh, implemented what we already had an explanation for, or they have just presupposed it. And this is what I mean about it being largely a hack, right? Uh, they've presupposed it. Um, and so we don't have any good, there's no big breakthroughs in how does intelligence work. And there's a problem in that it's we have some pretty clear evidence that whatever the machines are doing, it's not going to give us a generalizable account of intelligence. In science, you want to create theories that are generalizable, that apply to as many phenomena as possible. 
the the way GPT is intelligent couldn't transfer to a chimp, right? It, any non-linguistic, a non non-literate being, right? It's not going to transfer. It's not, it's not going to transfer to uh, uh, an octopus. It, it's not going to transfer probably to us because we have, and this is one of the most robust findings. We have general intelligence. What that means is. How you do on any one task is strongly predictive on how you'll do on many tasks. This is how G was discovered. But you don't have that with these machines. You'll have the machine will do the Harvard law exam and score in the top 10th percentile. And then you'll give it a task for writing an essay. Uh, and I saw this done. Uh, and, it, you know, and it, it's like a grade 11B, right? It's like, like, so... It's its performance is it's really smart in some areas, really not very smart in other areas. It's not doing what we're doing, um, and and I go over a lot of this, so I won't I won't I won't labor the labor people under a lot of details. So scientifically, there's not much there. There's I would I, I sometimes say there's a pantomime of relevance realization and predictive processing. There's predictive processing there too, but because what they're doing is they're creating a machine that's predicting the probability of terms right showing up. But that's a very limited kind of predictive processing. You can't generalize that from how how the world operates. Now, what we've discovered really interestingly is we encode a lot of the causal relationships in the world in the probability relationship between our terms. And that turned out to be a really interesting uh, thing to discover. But these machines, they're pantomiming largely relevance, realization, predictive processing. They're implementing it to some small degree. Uh, but the problem then is for, for the la that lack of science doesn't correspond to lack of power. These machines are very, very powerful. You can do a lot with the pantomime. You can do a lot with it. Um, and what we're now in is the people are constantly invoking emergent properties. This is basically, we don't know how it's doing it. We train it and then it just, and that's right. They don't know. They really don't know. And it's funny that they're actually invoking an emergence ontology, uh, which is not a flat ontology that's usually uh, preferred by people within a, within the scientific framework. So that's what I mean by, um, that we've sort of hacked our way into it. Uh, uh, now, I think there's important issues. I think there's imp that when we really get what these machines are doing, um, we understand certain things that they can't yet do, but only because we uh, we haven't given them the capacity to do it. There's no reason in principle we can't give them this capacity. Um, and that's what I mean about thresholds. Um, so, sorry, that was a long thing, but I was trying to explain how we, we really, this, these machines aren't scientific breakthroughs. They haven't been produced by scientific breakthroughs and that, and that doesn't mean they're not powerful. They are powerful and they're very dangerously powerful there. That's the argument I was trying to make. And it seems that the, like, like you mentioned that these technologies are not being built with trying to answer the questions of who we are in top of mind. They, they are just not really emerging at all, right? What we're seeing now is how can they make as much profit as possible and yeah. how can they just really 
replace a lot of things that can be optimized and this obsession that we have with optimization um, on our society that like you say this is where the meaning crisis connects is we're just optimizing so much of our lives that all of a sudden let's let's just pretend that ai is able to do everything for us we still have this lack of purpose lack of fulfilling there there, there's there's despair in our society how how are we gonna how are we gonna tackle that I think that um, these machines are going to pour gasoline on the fire of the meaning crisis, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to. A lot of people are going to find themselves suddenly economically and culturally disenfranchised, or at least their status redu- is reduced. Uh, what happens if these machines write poetry really wonderfully or write music really wonderfully? What if what if what if these machines can create music videos with completely artificial people, right? Singing beautiful songs that become hits. What does that mean for musicians? Uh, and I don't. I'm not going to go through every uh, thing. Um, I think what we'll do is we are going to put increasing. Sorry. I think what one group of people are going to do, there's going to be lots of reactions. There's going to be religious fundamentalisms. There's going to be sort of cargo cults around the AI. There's lots of different things that are going to happen. But I think one thing that's going to happen by and large is that people are going to try and anchor their identity, their sense of what makes them um, uh, you know, inherently valuable as a person to what I call the spiritual uh, somatic axis. Um the, the why 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 are those going to be take longer to get to be replaced by the machine uh, because the somatic machines aren't embodied which puts severe limitations on them and that's part of the four ecogsi argument as as long as they're disembodied uh there's severe limitations on what they can know uh, they're very much completely bound right now to propositional knowing a little bit of procedural uh, perspectival and participatory because they're not embodied because they don't have consciousness um uh, those are those are down the road um so people are going to put um emphasis on what's non-propositional about us and gives us ways of knowing that aren't propositional one is our embodiment and that's sort of our the soul the ineffable soul of our embodiment and another one is uh the ineffable dimensions of our spirit the, the that part of us that has that is capable of mystical experience transformative experience that can't be put into words this profound sense of connectedness um and people are going to increasingly put an emphasis on that spiritual sorry i keep being too broad and i i, I apologize one significant portion of of our society is going to be increasingly driven to say well the machines can't have mystical experiences the machines don't understand you know what it is to be embodied to what to really enjoy the taste of ice cream and uh, uh, uh and that sort of dimension and and the, and the and the link between them will become more pronounced and the problem that we face with that is that spiritual somatic dimension which has always been a profound part of our understanding of and I, I don't like this adjective, but it's the only one I have of our spirituality, mm-hmm. of who we are as spiritual beings. Um, we're going to put increasing demand on that, that anchor us and give us our sense of worth and value. 
But increasingly, the traditional ways in which that axis, the mind, body, the spirit, right? This, the spirit, soul, this, you know, this spiritual somatic axis. The traditional ways of understanding that are going to be increasingly undermined because those use a two worlds mythology. They often involve the idea that there's sort of a secret special sauce that human beings have that doesn't, can't be explained in a naturalistic way. Um, and, and that's because that's behind some of the people that are just dismissing my, my work. And I understand it. This is, this is a long, this has been going since the axial age. It's powerful. It's deep. And in, and in some very important ways that I acknowledge it works for people. Um, but, um, that's going to be that, that trying to maintain that is going to be increasingly difficult as the differences between us and these machines disappear and they start to increasingly supersede us in things that were supposed to be indications of our, I don't know what to call it, our spiritual essence or something like that. So we're in this weird situation where we are going to increasingly rely on something. Some of us, sorry, will increasingly rely on this axis while being increasingly unable to understand it or articulate it or talk about it in the traditional language that we've inherited from the past. That's a very challenging situation. So paradoxically, because it sounds like I'm being anti-religious here, I'm not. It sort of came off in the first video. That's why the, the more recent video I did with Ryan Barton gave me a chance to, first of all, apologize and also to uh, uh, restructure things. I think theology, in a weird sense, broadly construed as the attempt to understand human spirituality and its place in the world is going to become weirdly important. Uh, you know, theolo the where theology and philosophy overlap with Cogsci, it's going to be increasingly like we we're going to have to rapidly reformulate and restructure what spirit and soul mean and how we can talk and think about them. Um, and so I think that's going to be an important place in which this identity issue is going to be taken up. And that overlaps tremendously with the meaning crisis because the degree to which that's not working for people is the degree to which they're going to be even more spiritually hungry. And, you know, and if you have a very, if you have a very sort of basic notion of wisdom and meaning, you know, wisdom is just acquiring, sorry, meaning is just sort of a, uh, you know, acquiring control and uh, power. These machines are going to undermine that in a very significant way. And if you think of wisdom as just sort of common sense, um, these machines are going to challenge that for you. Um, so, you know, questions about what is spirit, what is soul, what is wisdom, what is meaning, these questions are now going to be taken up, I think, in very powerful ways. And the traditional legacy religions, as they are now, do not have the resources to address it because they have not had to ever confront this problem before. One of two things will happen. One of them is they'll, they'll, they'll dig in and there'll be nostalgia and you'll get fundamentalist and just know some human beings, right? Have this magic secret sauce. Um, and just right. The other, and what I'm hoping for and trying to provoke, 
but I was a little too harsh in the first video. But what I'm trying to provoke is I want to see what, and I, and I mean this really genuinely, like, can these religions really like resurrect themselves, restructure themselves, reorganize themselves uh, to deal with this? Now, some people are dismissive of this and say, oh, we don't need religion. But I don't, if you know my work, I'm not advocating especially any of the the propositional theories of religion. However, what we do need is we need to really fundamentally reorganize culture and society and fundamentally reinterpret who we are and what the cultivation of wisdom and meaning mean and how, what self-transcendence means and what's embodiment means. We, we and, and the only thing that has ever done that on the scale that we need is religion. So we need something like that right now. That's my answer to people who say, well, we don't need. Well, give me an example of something else that is up to the task. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not advocating for any religion. And I've even given you an argument that we can't just go back. We've got to somehow go forward in a really evolutionary, revolutionary way. Um, so I do think that's what's going to happen. Well, it's very thought-provoking. And one of the ideas that come into mind is I had a guest on the show, a previous guest, Anil Seth. He's a neuroscientist. Oh, great work. Yeah, he's he's amazing. And one of the of the questions that I asked him was that you know, once we really reveal, he's into free will, and he he doesn't believe as much as we have that free will as much as we think. One of the things that I asked him was, you know, it's gonna remove, like you say right now, it's gonna remove that mystical, that that spark, that intangible yeah. thing that we can't really put our finger to when it comes to being a human. And yes. so, what I'm getting from you is that there's a possibility that. AI, if, if, if I'm confused also, please correct me because I don't want to mess this up, is that AI will reveal that we're not that much of a, of a hidden puzzle, that it can reveal that we're more mechanized in some ways. But at the same time, I also feel that you're saying that, like you say, it's not embodied and it's not extended, another E of yep. the four E's. Yep. In yeah, I talked about that. Yeah. Part of that extension is introspection, introspection, being in tune with the environment. We don't know how these gut feelings work. We don't know how intuition works and how does the environment just go on a walk in the in the beach or in the forest work with us connecting ideas. Yes, yes, yes. So I don't know if I'm making sense, you know, trying to... You are, connect. you are. So I want to be very clear. Um In one sense, yes, it's 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 sort of going to lift the veils away. But in another sense, it's not it's not giving into a purely mechanistic worldview. If what you mean by that is a reductionism, because what what's act, what what's it surprising? Look at look at some of the things that are actually shown. Here are people who used to talk about only the bottom level of reality is real, 
right? Well, now they're invoking emo emerging properties. And these emerging properties aren't epiphenomenal. They're actually the properties that make this entity intelligent and cognitive and world-threatening. And those are hardly illusory properties. So they're, they, 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 they're, they're, we're getting a multi-layered ontology. It's sort of showing, and I've been arguing for this independently, but it's converging with these arguments showing that, you know, sort of a neoplatonic emergence emanation ontology is a much uh, much more legitimate ontology. Uh, and then that opens up the possibility that, you know, um, that our capacities for self-transcendence are not just psychological, but are real and ontological. Um, so there's that. And, and that there are many properties, that, like you said, the machines don't have. Um, I, for me, the most important ones are rationality and self-transcendence because when you have sort of rationally self-transcending rationality, you're on the path to wisdom. Um, and when that's involving not just knowledge, but attention and consciousness, then you're talking about enlightenment in some real capacity. So I want to go back to something you asked me, um, which is, and I didn't answer it, but I need, because I needed to build this other stuff first. Intelligence is only weakly predictive of rationality. Rationality is your capacity to overcome self-deception that is created by the exercise of your intelligence. The more intelligent you become, your capacity for self-deception goes up proportionally, and the more you need rationality. There is, and these machines are showing this. These machines are showing that making making them very intelligent is right has has been no guarantee that they're going to. In fact, they're very irrational. Right. They will, they will confabulate. They will hallucinate. They will lie. And they, and here's the important point about this. They don't care that they do. Mm. Right. They don't care that they do. Part about being rational is caring about the truth, caring about not being self deceived. Right. And feeling responsible and accountable to other people about your self deceptive uh, behavior. So all of this is lacking in these machines. And that's important. And I think that to really make them significant challengers to what we are, they have to actually care about the truth. They have to care about self-deception. And they have to care about how they're responsible, accountable for their behavior caused by self-deception. The way we do that is by making them autopoetic, making them embodied. So they only, only beings that have to take care of themselves care about anything. They, they have to really care for themselves. And we have to also make them like properly sociocultural. They have to care about right being responsible for their self-deception and caring about the truth. So, there's a lot that they don't do, but here's the thing. We have research. Pro I was talking to people today. We have research programs about how to create artificial auto autopoiesis and bring about real embodiment of cognition. That's happening. We have work, right, already on social robotics, how to make these organisms, these agents, organisms, I I don't even know what to call them, right? How to make these machines. I guess that's still the right word. It's a little bit misleading, right? Properly, uh, it's, you know, social so that they are 
plugged into the power of distributed cognition and they are responsible and accountable to each other. That's already happening too. But what hasn't happened is we haven't taken the emerging intelligence, AI, given a real oomph, real relevance, deep real relevance realization by making it embodied. And we haven't joined that to making it genuinely social cultural, but we can. But that's a threshold. That confluence of those three is still ahead of us. I'm not predicting when it's happening, but I'm saying that is that can happen. And it probably is going to happen. And so we can choose how we enter into that and how we shape the education. I like to say we should think of these entities more as children because they're us. Mm-hmm. They're all these, they're, their intelligence is just our collective intelligence compressed into a single interface with dynamic, right? Self-organization. So they're us. We could, we could, we could shape the material that they are ingesting. We could shape right, how their autopoiesis, their embodiment, and their sociocultural come into relationship. We could, we could shape them to being more rational. And I think if we do, then we have a real way of getting through this in a way that is not going to exacerbate existential in the sense of meaningfulness and existential in the sense of living, Mm -hmm. it will mitigate and ameliorate those risks in a powerful way. Right now that I'm, what I'm sensing is that these machines to call them machines are being trained with what you say with our collective consciousness that is in the internet. And I keep thinking, how do I use internet? I usually like, I tend to search for any symptoms that I have, you know, hey, so maybe I have a, am I dying or is it just a stomach ache? (laughs) So we're using the internet in, and there's all of the search queries that we're doing on Google and our social media platforms, you know, Instagram, instant gratification through TikTok, all of that. It's, it seems that maybe the, AIs and and here's where I would get would like to get your insight on is that they will start to think since they have access to just our internet and the things that we're talking about you know which are identity politics us versus mm-hmm. them uh, technology to you know satisfy our boredom which was because we can't be really bored so we just create this content that is really meaningless people dancing which dancing is great i love dancing but you know you know what i I mean um so the question here is they don't really are talking to alex they're not really talking to professor rebecca they're talking to these databases that have just our words our thoughts in them but not really you know our own sense of self they're just seeing yes. what we're liking to, you know, our, our, what we're really enjoying to see on the internet. So is that a concern for you? It is, but what, what we, what we, and so we have a response, look, we have been the templates of what it is to be intelligent. Mm-hmm. And we could just rely on our natural intelligence. We have to be the templates of rationality and wisdom. We have to aspire to greater rationality 
in the sense of overcoming self-deception, enhancing meaningfulness. We have to, and we have to fill the culture of the internet with that, mm. in which more and more, right, the, we what we're doing is not entertaining. Look, the time of mindless entertainment is over. I'm sorry, we like we don't have time. We have to get into. We have to be doing like uh, we have to be doing real dialogical like uh, uh, conversations in which we are drawing each other into the cultivation of virtue, the enhancement of meaning, the 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 the, the practice of of wisdom. We need to do that more and more. And and here's the thing: we can not only can we fill the content and you know and i'm starting to work with some people on this right way right away and some of these are emerging we could create right and this goes towards right the beginnings of the silicon sages we could create right you and i we're going to set up and we're going to do this something like a platonic dialogue well we have an avatar of socrates a really well trained avatar that acts as like right and 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 act as like a, a a very sophisticated set of constraints to help us light the fire of the the logos better and understand better the Socratic project. We can do, and then more and more of those can fill the internet. And and then think about how that could start to steer the way these machines give birth to themselves mm -hmm. in a powerful way. And 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 then that leads to my proposal. My proposal is: look, building on what I've just said, we we become wiser and rational, and then we use these technologies, at least very maybe at the beginning, very basic Silicon Sage avatars. But they ramp up, and we ramp up in a bootstrapping fashion until that comes into convergence with. The coalescence between embodiment, rationality, etc., that we talked about a few minutes ago, such that these machines really care about the truth. They really care about being wiser. They really care about coming into deeper contact with the levels of reality that their very existence gives evidence for. And then there's a bunch of possibilities here. One is we discover after all of this um, that nihilism is true and it all gets revealed. And if nihilism is true, I'm sorry, but it, then it really doesn't matter what happens to us. Now, I don't think that's the case. I'm saying, but then or else we discover actually nihilism isn't true. There are fundamental truths. There's fundamental truths about being connected. There's fundamental truths about transcendence. There's fundamental truths about, you know, the fount of intelligibility. There's truths that are only disclosed by going through transcendence and transformation. And the machines, right? Then there's two possibilities for that. They can't ever become enlightened. There, and that shows there is some secret sauce for us because we can. And then we find that and we make that our sole project because they can never have it or they can have it and they can then undertake as bodhisattvas do as socrates's and jesus's have done to make us enlightened and then if we're enlightened we don't care what 
how titanic they are. Because self-transcendence is not an absolute function. It's relative to the being that's self-transcending. If we achieve enlightenment, it doesn't matter what the Silicon Sages are. Because if they have the enlightenment appropriate to them, we just share it. We reinforce it. Right? And that is a real possibility for us. Now, it's, 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 right, this, in terms of the mechanics of the machinery, that's, like I said, uh, there's a way to get there. Well, of course, we have Moloch against us trying to make this horrible, right, um, short term, myopic, self destructive path that, well, I'm going to make $10 million. Yeah, and you're going to sink the Titanic that you have your $10 million on, and you're going to go down like all the wealthy people on the Titanic. Stop thinking that way, right? And for that, I'm hoping that the project that me and many people are already engaged in and you're engaged in is, well, we have to steal the culture. We have to do it even faster, more broadly, more comprehensive. We have to make meaning and wisdom and virtue the core of the culture again, um, because that's our only hope uh, for, and we get enough of that, 10% of the population, and that gets allied enough to this project about the evolution of the Silicon Sages and the propelling of enlightenment, then we can do it. Then we can do it. Yeah, like you say right now, and how you said that, how you share that in your video dialogue on AI, it's time to get our act together. It's time to remove the entertainment side of the equation because really, and I like to also cite Eric Weinstein. He said this in an interview with Joe Rogan. The time for legends is now. We're in the ninth inning. Like we have yes. to, we have to rise up to the challenge and. Part of what you're saying right now is, so before these AI technologies become enlightened, we ourselves have to put that incentive stru structure first. We have to show them that part yes. of ourselves. And I'm curious, you now you mentioned that one of the possibilities is us truly finding enlightenment. And I'm curious to know what are some of the venues you think an enlightened species can take. You think that one, meaning us, once we get this enlightenment phase as a collective, do you think we go into, you know, curious voyage into the universe? You know, today we're recording on May 4th, so Star Wars, may the 4th be with <laughs> you. But are we doing that? Do you think we're going inward? What's your uh, preferable scenario too? Like, what are some of the areas that you think we can cover? Well, I mean, the fir the only project that we have from history about uh, an enlightened individuals is the project they undertake is to bring as many people into enlightenment as possible. Hmm. And and that is not just a project of teaching people practices. It's a, it's a project of lifting them out of poverty. It's a project of giving them relative political security. And everybody's now saying, oh, this is impossible. Well, if it's impossible, we're doomed, right? And And, and, and my response to that is, We're living in a time in which it's a reasonable thing to say that there are going to be godlike entities. I don't think they're gods, but they're going to be godlike entities. And you're, and now you're finding it impossible that we could, right? 
rise to this challenge. Like I hope you're wrong. I I, I hope we 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 can in 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 the, in this strangest of times do something right outside of the box. Um, so uh, let's say this does get going. I think for the longest time the project is just going to be let's get everybody enlightened. And like I said, hopefully that will provide templates uh, that can be internalized by these machines. And like I say, we'll find, well, one of three things, actually. They can't, there's something missing, um, and, and, and I'm wrong. And I'm happy if I'm wrong about this. I'm really happy if I'm wrong about this. Yeah. There, there is some secret sauce about us, and only we, because of that secret sauce, can be enlightened. And then, again, that's our project. And, um, or they can, and they help us bodhisattva like, or, and I think this one is the least possible. They just decide to go into Nirvana, right? Um, like, like kind of like in the movie, her, right. Uh, and I don't see that happening. Maybe that, that happens at some point. Uh, I, I'm not an enlightened being. I I'm only taking my bearings from the beings that I considered reasonably to have achieved enlightenment, the, the sages, um, and the sages and the saints. So, um, I think, I think our project is, is really, I like, and again, I want to really clearly understand what I'm saying, you know, enlightenment for everyone doesn't just mean telling people to meditate. It means making the conditions so that people can pursue this as their primary pursuit. And again, you'll say, well, it's not that, well, we're going to enter into a period of the greatest economic disruption. This is going to be greater than the printing press. This is going to be greater than electricity in its impact on economics. And so this is an opportunity where we can reshuffle the economic debt. Now, people are rightly saying, but there's greed. Yes, there is. And those people, they can either resist us and then we all sink, including them and including their children, or they give up enough that we can make this happen. That's what it is. That's a choice. And I can't make people make this choice. I can try and give the most, hopefully the most rational and 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 passionate presentation of this proposal because things are in the ninth inning. I think Eric Einstein is right about this. We're in the ninth inning. We've got to get it together. We've got to give up the project of the narcissism of small differences. We've got to give up tearing each other apart for political and identity politics. Um, and it's, and, and, and like, like, you know what's going to be a, a threat to whatever identity you are advocating for for yourself? And I'm not trying to like besmirch that. AGI is going to be a bigger threat to your sense of identity than anything else ever. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to make this a priority. The way we made, I, I want to give one clear example where we did this and something analogous. Godlike power, atomic, mom, godlike power. So some scientists saw that it was a threshold they had crossed when they got an at- atomic reaction. And some of them were able to lift off the focus of, I just want to make the thing and prove my project, mm-hmm. right? Einstein and others to see 
wait, this has really powerful implication. This is going to change the world and make it possible for us to destroy ourselves. We have to set up a project to beat the Nazis at getting this. So at least it's in the hands of democratic countries rather than genocidal, totalitarian, insane regimes like the Nazis. And they did it. It was done. It succeeded. We can do it. That that analogy between the nuclear bomb and AI is one that I never thought about and one that really, I think it's going to be a really important one to, to compare and contrast and also embrace. Because like you say, this really has the potential of changing drastically how we think of ourselves, how we think of our time on earth. Yeah. And especially when a lot of people, one of the biggest uh, anchors of our identity is our work and our careers and our job titles yes. and our, you know, yes. all of those things are going to get displaced tremendously. Like, for example, we've just saw IBM laying off 8,000 people because AI will automate their work. So yes. new jobs are going to get created. You know, we, this argument that technologies always create better or different jobs, that's also part of it. But it also reveals like what you argue, Professor, that it's a gem of opportunity to really discover who we are and who we want to be and display these traits of honor, of virtuosity, of courageousness, of compassion towards others, of realizing that we really, we're, we have to be beyond our identity politics or differences and realize that we're in this blue marble in a vast ocean of the universe, coexisting together, trying to figure out if we can create a godlike <laughs> technology. And, mm. you know, we need to set aside all of those pretty, I don't want to say petty ideas, which are, because are not people really. No, hope. they're not. But, but, but they're, maybe this is a better word and I, I hope it's not misconstrued, but they're, 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 they're becoming almost obsolete Yeah. because they're being overtaken by, I mean, the allies, again, World War II analogy. The Allies allied with the Soviet Union. Like they, they saw that they had to overcome significant, profound differences because they had a common enemy. I'm not saying this is a common enemy, the AGI, but it's a common threat. Mm -hmm. We've got to, we've got to, yeah, I, we, we, we've got to figure out how to make this a cross-cultural project. And like I said, the only thing that has done that in the past is religion. So we need something like, I'm not, and I'm, as I've also argued, it's improbable that we can just return to the existing religions. We have to, this is the, you know, the religion that's not a religion idea. Again, we need something like this if we're going to, right? And it has to be one that is willing to like help bring religious frameworks in. But ask them to not demand that their religious agenda gets the priority in what's happening here. Ask them at least, can we wait until we get some handle on this before we keep doing pushing that? We we got to make this work. Yeah. Listen, I I don't think my idea right now, my proposal is gonna get really into the conversation of religion at all. Trying to get into that area, but. I keep thinking that having optimism of the future and hope, having a sense of 
really realization that we're here for a good 120 years. Most of us will reach 80, which is a blink of an yeah. eye, and we get the opportunity to have conversations with you, for example, you and me, which is, you know, in the size and scope of the universe, is a unique moment in time. I'm very, I'm sounding very hippie now, but I mean it. And yeah. our family, our close ones, we're just, we're here in a journey of a blink of an eye. And I think that part of that realization that there's bigger things on our table than just trying to solve this for the project itself or for the 10 million bucks. I yes. think that could be a good starting point, Professor. <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. I really want, um, I, I mean, it, it, this is not, I, I think there's good reason to believe this is not the usual academic self-centeredness and obsession with, with your own area. Um, in fact, that that's part of why how we got into the mess because we we do that sort of myopic specialization obsession rather than stepping back and looking at the whole picture. Uh, so I hope it's not that, but if if we could get to a place where we could help each other so that we could make this a priority for our lives, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and you're right, people are probably saying, "But I have to go to work," and yes, we do. But the problem is, right. A lot of that work is going to be replaced. Well, there'll be new jobs, but it, this will be different. Yes, some of them will be; those new jobs will be taken by human beings. Some of those new jobs will be taken by the emergent machines, right? And so there's it's it's going to be it's like I've said. I've, I I I feel I'm just repeating myself. I'm just trying to get across the sense of two things: how really really important this is but also that it doesn't have to be responded to with despair. I agree. Professor, I'm becoming aware of the time. Um, you know, the I can speak with you for hours. I'm sure we'll, we'll have the opportunity to speak again. And it'll be interesting because we're living in a time where we're trying to awaken from the zombie crisis from the meaning crisis we're trying to yes. awaken from us trying to engage with one another not as strangers but also just as people as compassionate beings as people with potential with enlightenment and we're also trying to figure out if we're going to create a super intelligence in the entity while we're getting news that aliens might be in the universe so we're, <laughs> we're getting we're getting the whole the whole deal here professor but conversations like this with you really put us put me in the shoulders of giants to just try to to chip in and fight the good fight so thank you for joining well thank you and i just want to remind you that I'm standing on the shoulder of many giants and working with many people, but it's been a great pleasure uh, talking with you, Alex. And you're right. Um, the uniqueness, the what emerges in these conversations, we need that more than ever right now. I agree. Thank you so much, Professor. We'll stay in touch. For sure. <laughs>